Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in Scripture and our lives. I am Adam Erickson, writer at The Raven Review and pastor in the United Church of Christ. And I am Lindsay Paris Lopez, writer for The Raven Review, aspiring peacemaker and aspiring follower of Jesus. This is episode 10 for the third Sunday of Epiphany. Are we in Epiphany still? Yes. Yes. We are still in the Epiphany, which means manifestation or appearance of God. That's pretty awesome. So in this episode, we are going to discuss Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. In Jesus Unmasked, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses which obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. The unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear so that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the NRSV and we use the Common Lectionary. Hey, Lindsay, how's it going? Hey, Adam. I'm all right. How are you? I'm fine. I'm still getting over my cold. Mm. Yeah. It's all good. So how are you doing? Well, I mean, I'm I'm all right. I'm still concerned about the direction our country is heading in as the drums for war continue to beat. I mean, I'm still praying and hopefully by the time these ep- this episode drops, maybe maybe things will be okay. Maybe something will blow over, maybe some miracle will happen, but the truth is the United States has been at war for most of its existence, and there are military bases, I mean, at least 800 of them, all throughout the world. And whether or not war is averted, the truth is we're, we're still at war that the that the United States is still an empire at war and Jesus is still calling us out of war Jesus is still calling to us to lay down our weapons and follow him Jesus calls us to repent in our passage today and oftentimes uh progressive theologians and pastors like us are uh, told that we never talk about repentance Mm. and here we're going to talk about repentance and you already are talking about repentance. Repentance means change your mind, change your ways. Change your mind. Right. Yes. And and that's what we're getting at. And we do need to repent from our ways of violence. And that's what Jesus is always moving us towards so that we can live into God's love for all people. And um, that's, that's where we're at today. So should we just go ahead and uh, read the passage? Do you think? Yeah, I think we should. Let's get into it. So this is Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Uh, Jesus has just been tempted in the desert, and, and he comes back out of the desert. And the first thing he hears is that John the Baptist has been arrested. So... Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So Lindsay, John has just been arrested. We've kind of been following John the last couple of weeks and the poor guy. Mm-hmm. Man, the powers and principalities came after him and they got him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the powers and principalities tend to come after those who upset them who question their power and their authority and who say things that they don't like to hear can i ask you this there are a lot of people who say that religion and politics just shouldn't mix do you think anybody went to john the baptist and said hey man stop being too political oh uh, well if they did he wasn't gonna listen to them <laughs> right <laughs> and no, I don't think that because, I mean, in those days, the distinction between religion and politics wasn't drawn the way that we try to draw it today in the modern world. And there is good reason to not have a state-mandated religion, but that doesn't mean that the realms of politics and religion don't overlap because they absolutely do. I mean, we're talking about God and people and the whole Christian religion is about God becoming human and coming among us. And I mean, that's, that's the Christian religion, but every religion is about God's interaction with humanity. And the stuff that concerns humanity is politics, not partisanship, um, although that, you know, that, that does take up a lot of our brains, which side we're on. But the policies um, and the systems of power that affect everybody, you know, religion has something to say about them. So, Yeah, and uh, John 
paid the consequences for it. And oftentimes we may need to pay the consequences for it too, I guess. Right. (laughs) I mean, Jesus pays the consequences too, uh, later on. So Mm -hmm. why does Jesus withdraw to the Galilee? And this is interesting too, because according to this passage, the Galilee is land of the Gentiles and the Gentiles are, uh, non-Jews. And so these Naphtali and Zebulun are were were two were tribes of Israel, but now the Roman Empire has come and claimed that land for themselves. So there are a bunch of non-Jews, uh, i.e., Gentiles, living in this land, and that's where Jesus goes. And isn't that isn't that interesting that Jesus goes to the land of the Gentiles? Mm-hmm. To the, to the, then this is like, this is Jesus goes to the land of the others, right? Right. And when when I say that, I want to be careful because it's not, it's not first century Judaism that uh, otherizes people, right? It's not first century Rome that otherizes. We all otherize people. Uh, We're all caught up in this. And it's one of the things that Jesus came to free us from, which is why he goes to those who are culturally seen as as different as other as less than us uh so yeah and this is fully within the jewish tradition by the way uh as you mentioned i think it was in the last episode when abraham says that uh, he gets this blessing and it's for all the families of the earth and so when jesus goes to the others he's fulfilling this very jewish command to be a blessing to all the families of the earth yes i mean it is it is a um, there's a connection to Judaism in the command to be a blessing to all the earth. So it's, it's Jewish and universal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he goes out after John is arrested. And what's coming to my mind now is the way Jesus says to look to the log in your own eye before you remove the splinter from your brothers. And uh, John the Baptist has spoken truth to power and has suffered the consequences so he's dealt with and i i say that in the past tense but i mean there's it's it's an ongoing process but the log in the eye has has been addressed maybe not fully removed you know but it it seems like after this has happened jesus goes out to the gentiles to the to others and um there's a sense that there's a sense of taking care of things at home and then going and then moving on Mm. um i i mean that just occurred to me it does say after john had been arrested and john was arrested for speaking truth to power within israel's power structure so there's a sense of of moving beyond that Um, yeah so when jesus leaves and moves on to another place he goes to the land of the gentiles but it says here that it's a land of darkness and of death and it's interesting because quite often in christianity we view this religion as a avoidance of darkness and death as in as a hell avoidance plan But over and over again, Jesus goes to the places that we would rather avoid. Mm -hmm. And we can't say Jesus goes there so we don't have to. I mean, that seems to be 
something else that said Jesus, yes. Jesus died so we don't have to, you know, Jesus um, goes where we don't have to go. But I mean, in this very passage, Jesus is telling us, you know, telling people, follow me. And that's what he tells us. That's what he tells everyone. You know, it's always follow me. So if Jesus goes there, we are called to go there too. Yes. Um, and one of the things that is frequently on my mind is that hospitals are one of the least visited places in the United States, <laughs> maybe yeah. throughout the world too, uh, because it always makes us uh, visiting people in the hospital always makes us come to terms with our own death, our own mortality. We see it off frequently right before us, and we would just rather avoid those places of darkness and death. But that's exactly where Jesus is calling us, because even in the place of darkness and death, you're not alone. God's mm -hmm. with you, and Jesus is calling us to be with one another, too. It's tough. It's tough. Mm. It. Yeah, it it is. And um, I mean, I'm I hadn't heard that before. It's really sad that hospitals aren't frequently visited, but it makes sense that we're afraid to confront our own mortality. And, you know, our faith calls us to do that. Our faith calls us to to confront our own mortality and to not be afraid of it yeah it takes a lot of work to get there but uh part of it is you know going to those places uh, and, mm. and getting a little more comfortable with it well the next part of the story is that jesus calls some disciples and they're fishermen what does it mean that jesus calls us fishermen my according to my study bible these fishermen are were despised uh people of the ancient world mm-hmm yeah, I mean, you talk about marginalized people, and they are people who have literally been pushed off of the land. They can't make their living on solid ground, so they have to go out to the sea, which is, you know, uh, sort of a metaphor for chaos, a metaphor for the beginning before there was before there was solid formation, there was the watery darkness, and and that's how they that's how they survive. That's how they make their living is is out there, out there on the waves and. Um, yeah, and it was low level, difficult manual labor, uh, and it was labor that nobody else wanted to do. Right, so this is like. These are these are the guys who didn't make it in seminary. <laughs> these are the guys who didn't make it in school uh, and they weren't good enough. And so they had to do this job that that their parents weren't good enough. So uh, they were the sons. Their, their father was Zebedee. Uh, so they're kind of doing the family business, what we've always kind of done. And so this family has always kind of been nobodies. And guess what? That's where Jesus goes. Mm hmm. Well, that gives us some indication of why they might have been so eager to follow him, not only because they didn't like what they were currently doing. And that's, you know, that's speculation. Just because they were not seen in high society doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't value their own work. You know, they could have taken a lot of pride, uh, I mean, a good kind of pride, 
in what they did. So I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound elitist, like, oh, of course anyone would choose not to be a fisherman. But the fact that here is someone who is calling out to them, I mean, when has anybody else said, you, I want you, I want you with me to these people? That probably is unprecedented. That's that's probably very new for someone, you know, for a lowly fisherman to hear, you are the one that I choose to come with me. Well, I will tell you who did choose them and said, we want you. It was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had uh, status uh, quotas for fishing that they contracted with Jewish fishermen. And so the Roman Empire was like, yeah, we want you to be our fisherman <laughs> and <laughs> you have to produce a certain amount of fish and we're going to take your fish and your taxes and a certain amount of them and you can give them to uh, your townsfolk too. But there was that's that's part of how the web of empire of the Roman Empire was all throughout, even in these fishing communities, uh, you had to produce a certain amount of quotas for the empire. And so this act of leaving that is a type of nonviolent civil disobedience because mm -hmm. you had to have a loyalty to the quota to the empire and these fishermen are like no we're not going to do that anymore and we're going to walk away from that in order to walk into the new kingdom of god away from the empire of rome well of course there's something very different between saying i want you to yes. you know i want you to be my servant and give me exactly what I'm demanding. And I want you to come and follow and help me usher in a new way of living for all people. There's, there's yes. something very different. There's, oh, yeah. there's very, it's, you know, very different to say, I want your labor versus I want your you know, I value you as a human being and you are the one I call to mm -hmm. to do the work that I'm doing. But the way you just described it, I mean, it it adds another another layer, another element to this, because I don't know how closely the fishermen were being watched by the Roman Empire, but there may have been a sense of risk in abandoning that if if Rome has called them to, you know, yeah, to produce no, the, for them. Absolutely. There was risk for them, and there was also risk for their father Zebedee, mm -hmm. right? They just leave Zebedee by himself, this older man, to fish and make up the quotas. <laughs> I mean, the poor guy. I mean, yeah, no, that is, right? I mean, yeah, the abandonment of Zebedee is something that I couldn't help noticing either and as good work is being done there are costs and consequences and um you do it anyway but and i and i suppose there are choices like i wonder if zebedee <laughs> just felt stuck like he didn't have any other choices and i wonder if he also could have been like hey guys i'd like to follow too can i follow jesus may have said no he said no to people who wanted to follow him in the past <laughs> uh, i'm <laughs> thinking of the guy from uh the garrison uh 
who was transformed from the demoniac who was possessed by demons and he wanted to follow Jesus and said no. But I wonder if part of the problem with Zebedee is that he didn't have like, he didn't, he didn't have, uh, this idea that, Hey, maybe I, I have choices and I could go along with you too. Sometimes we get stuck and we don't realize that we have choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially when we get stuck in the ways of empire, we feel like we only have one choice and that's to obey the empire. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily come with age, but the more you've seen of the world, the harder it is to believe in real change sometimes. And, uh, you know, Zebedee probably has seen other wannabe messiahs come and go. So he, he could easily be, he could easily be jaded. He, he might not recognize Jesus as something different, someone different. This last verse that we have here, verse 23, is really crucial and interesting and relevant. It says that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Every disease and every sickness among the people. All of them. All of them. <laughs> All and do you of know, them. Lindsay, Lindsay, do you know how much he charged them for it? Um, <laughs> nothing. You know how much debt he put them in in order to charge, in order to heal them? Nothing. 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 Jesus gives free universal health care. How about yes. that? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, what, what also occurs to me is that this is going to be my refrain throughout, throughout the weeks as we, as our nation is marching to war, what happens in, in, you know, in times of war, when, when armies are recruited and violence escalates is that, I mean, first of all, of course, there are more people who are sick and injured from war itself, but the sick and the injured are neglected. When armies are called up and when the solution to violence is more violence, you know, those who are sick and already suffering suffer more because because the resources go to war. And I think not only that, but I think that when our minds are turned to violence, I just feel like this sense of callousness and this lack of compassion starts to creep through the human spirit. Um, And I want to be careful when I say that because people people go to war for a sense of love a sense of protection a sense a sense of protecting the people they love but i still feel like when wars rage a sense of human compassion and connection tends to dwindle that we lose our humanity in the violence and you know people are following jesus because they know that the world needs to change. They need to change the world. And these are people on the margins who are being oppressed. And you talked very directly about how Rome was in control and they may 
you know, they may want to get away from that. But instead of doing it through violence where the sick would be even more neglected, the first thing Jesus does is go and tend to to the sick and the injured and those who are hurting. That's instead of losing sight of them, that's the first thing Jesus does. That's how he shows who he is. And there's definitely a message in there for us to follow. It's interesting because people often say, like, how could we afford to give health care to everyone? But nobody stops and says, how can we go? How can we afford to go to war? <laughs> Costs a lot of money. Well, I mean, when people are feeling an existential threat. Mm-hmm. But of course, sickness is also an existential threat. Um, you know, we are faced with matters of life and death all the time. The difference is the sick and the poor we will always have with us. These are these are ongoing problems that demand constant, constant attention and constant work. And they demand a life. They demand a lifestyle that requires constant caring. And it's just easier in a way to say, this is our enemy. We're going to go defeat this person, you know, this country, this person, this this nation, it's easier to just declare an outside enemy because that lets us stay violent, that lets us live out our most violent impulses, and it's not the hard, necessary, and beautiful work of day-to-day caring. Yeah, and I think that's what Jesus is getting at and what John the Baptist was getting at, too, when they constantly teach repent, repent. Mm-hmm. Repent from, change your mind about uh, these fishermen who you've always despised and thought were less than because they belong to. Repent and change your minds as we'll see in a little bit uh, later on in Matthew when he says, you know what, Uh, love your neighbor and your neighbor includes even your enemies. Mm -hmm. And love them as I have loved you, as Jesus says uh, throughout. Um, So that's that I think is what, repentance is is really about it's not primarily about morals it's primarily about changing our view of god as the one who loves all people so that we can move in that direction too and become more godlike mm-hmm. yeah repentance repentance really is about recognizing just how loved we are yeah. and how we don't need to fight for it and and that you know, once we wake up to that, we can we can recognize all the ways that we're hurting other people. But if we just think of it in terms of morality, it's so easy to get stuck in either self-loathing because we might already recognize the way we're hurting people and just feel really, really guilty about it or self-righteousness because if, you know... We might say, oh, I've repented, I've stopped doing these things, why can't everyone else? And if we miss the fact that we are universally loved, we'll go to, we might go to one extreme or the other, but we completely miss the point that mm-hmm. we are rooted in love and it's not about feeling above or below anyone else. It's, it's about recognizing that we completely belong in love and so does everyone else 
love is not a competition. No. As <laughs> I frequently exactly. say, I'll sometimes I'll say to my kids, uh, I love you. And they'll say, I love you more. And I'm like, stop it. Love is not a competition. <laughs> but it's cute. It's adorable. Yeah, it's 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 so easy to say that yes. because well, because number one, we haven't fully repented. But number two, it's just it's just the urge to yes. show that we love each yes. other. And um and there's really nothing wrong with that. No. It's it's good. It's a good thing. It's but awesome. love is not a competition, everyone. Love is not a competition. Awesome. Well, friends, I think that's it from this episode of Jesus Unmasked. I am Adam. And I'm Lindsay. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies, because Jesus calls us to love them too.